Working with students brings with it something we may not put a whole lot of thought into, working with parents. In many ways, what we see in the students we work directly with is the symptom of what is happening at home with their parents. In the next three episodes, we are investigating how can we help parents win. Consider these questions as we go into this episode. Do I really know what parents need from me as a youth worker? Is the way I am doing youth ministry helping or hindering them as parents? What's the number one thing I can do to affirm parents in my ministry? And will my efforts be felt only in the students' lives or in the lives of the entire family? Those are some good questions to consider. So join us as we further explore these and more thoughts and questions as we consider what we can do to help parents win. I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer. And this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. So we're glad you're with us today. On this episode, we're excited to get into a new little mini-series here about students and families. But if you haven't, check out our last episode where we talk about students leaving the church. We had a great interview with our friend Darren Campbell and talked about that question of what we risk when we ignore students in our churches. The next episode, we're going to take a look more at the youth workers, how they can help parents. And so we interviewed Dan Seaborn, who is the founder CEO of Winning at Home, and just how can we as youth workers assist parents in a better way? Yeah, and that ministry is really fantastic, and he is an expert in that area. So you'll definitely want to join us for our next episode. As always, you can find us on YouTube as well as iTunes. If you are just kind of coming across this randomly, hit that subscribe button. It it doesn't help us any. It helps you that's, a whole lot. Yeah, that's right. We're just thinking of you. And in our organization here that we're part of Never the Same, we are at this time of year gearing up for next summer, believe it or not, even though we're going into the Christmas season as we record this, but we're Getting ready for NTS camp next summer. Yeah, I believe most people don't believe that we're doing anything when you talk about summer camp. It's like, what do you do the rest of the year? And you wait until May to actually plan out an entire summer. And so, yeah, we are definitely gearing up. We are in high gear right now. We're getting all plans ready to go. We'd love to see you there. So if you've never been, the first step is check out ntscamp.com. Go to the website. You can learn more. But we'll be there next summer. We would love to meet you when we're on the road throughout the United States. And for today's episode, we're talking about how can we help parents win? We came up with a list of 10 ways as a youth pastor or a youth leader, how you can help the parents win with their kids. Now, we've got about, between us, about 35 years of local church youth ministry experience. We're both still engaged in churches. We're both parents. I actually have a couple students in youth group of my own. Jason, you have a couple upcoming. No, they're in our, my own youth group. It's called Home. Oh, there they, you go. They are in their own youth group. There you all go. All three of them. That's right. So we want to talk about these ways that we can, as youth workers, help parents. So like I said, we have 10 ways that you can help parents. And the first way that you can help parents is think about the parent's schedule. So when you are programming for your weekly gathering and you're putting time into all those plans and you go, I am putting all the effort in for the students. Are we thinking about the parent schedule in that as well? And what I mean by that is we can sometimes go long when we have a, a program. And I remember as a youth pastor, I would go long sometimes and the parents would be waiting 
And it was always a frustrating look on their their faces because it's like 15 minutes past. And I'm like, man, we had a great night. The spirit was moving and we were just really... And they're going, yeah, I got to get home because my kid has still homework and then I got to bathe my other child. And I, they haven't even eaten yet. And, and they have all of these th- lists of things that they still have to do because they're thinking about more children than just the one maybe in your program. And so think about the parents' schedule. They are the taxi service for their kids. They could be hauling six kids, even though they have two at home. Um, They have busy schedules. So running long is a big deal. They have other sports activities. Their kids may be in band and having to run errands in between. And like I said, homework and their weekends are full. And And so are we thinking about the parent's schedule when we are putting plans together? They may have the one student in your program, but they the average family has three children at home. 3.14, actually. I remember that number because it's the same number as... As pie. As pie. A delicious pie number. And so that's our first out of 10 ways you can help parents win at. We're hoping you're writing these down and taking notes. Maybe not. We're just kidding. But number two, consider parents' finances. You need, as a youth worker, to help them throughout their calendar year and spacing out the things that you do, so not having all your expensive trips at once or all of your deadlines for registrations. If there's any costs that are happening with parents, not only spacing them out, but letting them know in advance. I'll give an example from real life right now. We're doing a retreat in a few weeks with our youth group and our students, and we wanted to get that information out there as quick as we can. So you know, there's different people that use different rule of thumbs, but we gave them, I think, about a two-month uh, lead time on a weekend retreat cost that we're doing. But letting them know in advance, giving them a heads up, reminding them. And I think also when you consider their finances, I've always been a huge fan of building a rhythm in your ministry. It tends to drive me crazy as a parent when I don't know, when unexpected things happen. So if you're the type of youth ministry or, or youth leader, youth pastor that you're always trying new trips. There's good to that. One of the downsides as a parent, and I can speak on both sides, is that um, there may be, if you're doing a new trip next year, parents may not totally get on board because they weren't expecting it. It was a new cost or something they hadn't planned into their budget. So doing things as much as you can in a rhythm and a routine, and sometimes it takes two or three years to figure that out as a ministry, but doing the same summer trips, doing the same retreats, doing the same excursions, whatever, so that it's a part of their routine. I think that really helps parents. Number three, parents are the primary disciplers. Now, you may land on complete opposite sides of this topic where you may think you are the primary discipler. You may have students in your your ministry and go, man, there is absolutely no discipling happening at home. Well, I I disagree. There is discipling happening at home. It may not be what you agree with or what you believe in, but there is discipling happening at home because parents are the primary disciplers. And Jesus says, go and make disciples, and we are to do that. But are we discipling the students? Are we helping the parents disciple their students, their kids? And do do you consider it your job to disciple the students, or do you see it as an opportunity to equip the parents to disciple their students? So, Just remember that you are essentially the third voice in the student's life. Most likely, it's parents are one and two, and more these days, it's either just one. So you might be the second voice, but you are not necessarily the primary voice in the student's life. You are a secondary voice. And so take that time to affirm the parents and equip the parents and not 
consider yourself more self-righteous in a sense where you are taking the responsibility to provide all of the spiritual guidance for that student. It's in adolescent years, they tend to tune out their parents, but the parent is typically the primary discipler. So affirm the parents, equip the parents, and still be a third voice in that student's life. It can be tricky if you're dealing with uh, parents, which we all do when we're working with students in, a, in any kind of size group, that they may not be believers. And so you may be coming from a completely different angle when you're trying to disciple these students, but you want to be a voice of encouragement and affirmation to parents, no matter where they might be in their own spiritual journey or as a parent in their connection with their student. Number four, don't shame parents. Oh my goodness, I've made this mistake a lot, especially in my early days, especially when I was working with students before I had kids. I thought I had it all figured out. And what I didn't realize was in a lot of ways, sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle, I really didn't do a good job in affirming parents publicly. So how can you shame parents? Well, in different things that you say, in different comments that you make, perhaps to a student or in front of the entire group or in front of a group. But when you think about how important it is for us to encourage parents, anything that we say might be taken and scrutinized by either parents or the students themselves. I'm thinking particularly of of a time when one of my daughters was in driver's training and we all were called in as parents to come in for the last session of driver's training. This was with our oldest daughter. And in that last session, he berated all the parents in front of the students, the, the student drivers, about how bad we were, how we didn't stop at stop signs, how we text when we are driving. And I was there with another parent. We kind of looked at each other like, is this really happening? Is he doing this right in front of us? Like he was completely throwing us under the bus there. Because he knows you so well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he knows us so well. And quite frankly, I didn't send any of my other, I didn't send my second daughter who's been through driver's training to this same instructor because I'm like, why would I want a person that's not on my side that's affirming what I'm doing? So be careful the, the comments that you make uh, about parents. And trust me when I say this, if you're listening to this and you're a youth worker and you don't have your own children, just be really careful what you may say or what you may believe about them as parents because you haven't been in their shoes. And so just don't shame them. Number five, know their needs as parents. I want to say don't assume. Don't assume we know what the needs are of these parents. And we can easily project our thoughts and our beliefs onto the parents and based on our interaction with their their kids and just go looking at their their child, I would assume that this is their need Instead of assuming, actually try to find out their needs. And how to do so, you you get real feedback. You ask the parents directly. Ask them, how can I help you? To hear their heart, to know what's going on in their life, and understanding more of their needs as a parent with a, an adolescent child who they may be dealing with things that the child's never admitting to their small group leader or to you as a youth pastor or a youth leader. And so are we interacting with the parents and going, how can I help you? How can I better assist you? And I know I've failed at this. I've definitely know where there's times when parents have said, I've needed more from you or from this ministry. And I, I've failed at that, but I would desire to know what the need is so that it's actually helpful and not just spending time doing something. 
And so are you even planning lunches, not just with students, but with parents? Intentionally connect with them when they are dropping them off at your ministry or picking them up. Um, I know there's parents that, that are waiting for, for their child to be released. And when I was a youth pastor in a local church serving on a week-to-week basis, it was all the small group leaders were meeting with their students. I didn't actually have a group all the time. I would either step in when there was leaders out or I would just kind of float around. Sometimes I would take that time and just walk up to the parents that are waiting by the door because we're not out of small groups yet and just figure out what their life is like. And so take those times and uh, know their needs. Here's an example to think about. When you go to a student parent meeting of elementary school kids, that parking lot is packed. Every parent is there. They're super engaged because at that age, you just seem to be more that way. You go to middle school parent meeting night, and that parking lot's about half full because there's just less parents there. And then if you go to a high school parent meeting, you'll notice that that parking lot might be totally empty, and that's a trend. So when we're thinking about parents, I think sometimes the things that And I can speak to this again as a parent. Some of the things that you need when your kids are are really young, like elementary age and younger, compared to what they need in middle school and high school is different. And sometimes we take those same assumptions and we just pass those on. We think, well, this is what they needed when they were a parent of elementary age. So we're going to take the same ideas and project that on them as parents of high schoolers. And it's just totally different. And after the break, we are going to take a look at the final five ways that we can help parents win. Hey, my name is Matt Rhodes. I'm a Kernsville Wesleyan Church down in North Carolina. And I just wanted to say that I really value the Never the Same camp. I've been a part of it for several years now with a couple different churches. And one of the things I love is, is not only do my students have an incredible time, they, they enjoy the team comps and the sessions and all the things that come along with the NTS culture, but the thing that I value the most as a youth leader is that they give me the most opportunity to spend time with my students. Over the years, I've been to lots of different camps, and, and sometimes it can be really hard to, to connect and spend time with students when you're, you're planning and, and, and a part of everything that makes camp happen. And I love the fact that at NTS, my number one job is to spend time with my students. I feel like it increases the impact of my ministry throughout the entire year. I can't say enough about the value of that time the NTS affords me. Well, welcome back. We are discussing the 10 ways that we can help parents win. And the first five were, think about the parent's schedule, consider the parent's finances, parents are the primary disciplers, don't shame the parents, and know their needs as parents. And right now we're going to go into the last five. Yeah, let's jump into number six, connect on the parent's terms and turf. That means is communicate strategically So give them updates in ways that are going to help them. Now, in our world today, that means we always need to offer multiple options. So for some parents, it might be email. For some, it might be social media. For some, it might be text. Could be even other things, personal phone calls, whatever. But find out the ways that parents need to receive the information. We all know we're bombarded with information. And so find that balance between over and under communicating. I found that I'm on a lot of different mailing lists of ministries, and when I look at what they send, usually it's one of the two. Usually it's either way, way too much, where you're just not going to read all that information, or it's so little and so vague that it doesn't really inform you at all. And and there is a balance, and it's a trick, and communicating these days is more and more challenging because you really have to think through how you're doing it. 
but make your information clear, make it concise, make it current. Don't send out updates unless they really matter, because if you send out meaningless information, people will very quickly tune you out. You might even use something like YouTube, where you can sit down in front of your phone and record something directly to parents. But think about the ways that you're connecting with them. And like what you referenced earlier, Jason, don't assume. Ask, what ways can I best communicate with you and find the methods to do that? Rather than them coming to you and how you prefer to send out the information, you go to them and go on their turf with that so that you can communicate so that they can receive it. Number seven, help parents prioritize. Now, it seems like students are so busy. We can say that all the time. They're so busy. They're always in all these activities, and they're going from one thing to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And But there's some truth to that. They, we are battling against activities that are outside of the church. We, we can easily think of all sorts of sports activities, the leagues, then the times that it takes for them to be involved with the, the practices and the games and the tournaments and all these different things that, that the parents have to deal with with their schedules. How are we as the spiritual guiders of these students? How can we point these parents to the spiritual investments, uh, the ones that should be prioritized? Um, I'm thinking of camp and retreats and the trips that really matter. And casting the vision for them to these parents and saying, this is what can happen in the transformational power of of God in these moments. And you won't necessarily experience that elsewhere. And so remind them that these trips matter, but it obviously it costs money and it it's something that is a, a financial burden. But you know what else is a financial burden? Keeping up with the Joneses. It's expensive, it's exhausting both spiritually and financially, just remind them of what is important. What's the priority in their students' lives? And then also don't find your worth in your students' ability to play a certain sport, to play a certain instrument, to be involved with XYZ activity so that they can get into a certain college. It's okay that their student is not a superstar. And it's easy for me to say that of somebody else's parent when as a youth leader and you're going, it's okay, they're they don't need to be a superstar, but the parent may go, no, no, I'm investing in them so that they can be. And one way that you can help parents with this topic is point them to a website called changingthegameproject.com. Jeff, do you want to share more about that? Changingthegameproject.com is an incredible website that I've recently found and discovered, and it's helping parents understand how to navigate their kids through this world of sports and extracurricular activities, mainly sports. And I could say, what you just said, Jason, as a parent, finding your worth in your students' abilities, I know that for me, that is something I have to constantly remind myself of. I've had three girls in sports, and they've all been great athletes, and they get good grades, and they have a lot going for them. But there are certain times when maybe they didn't make the starting five, or maybe they didn't make the certain cut here or there. And I know as a parent that can be tough because you have invested so much time and money. We just faced something recently as a family where our seventh graders in volleyball and a bunch of her friends on the A volleyball team decided to go into this certain league, and it was like four times the amount of a different league that we felt like as a seventh grader we don't want to pay out literally a couple thousand bucks to be in this league just for a few months. And while there's a whole nother level of league that – some families that we know got their seventh graders involved in that was like 
a $4,000 commitment plus travel and hotel and meals and all that for a seventh grade student, not even for a whole year, so that they could be on this certain team. And I know the pressure that we're talking about because I felt that. But I've also needed to be reminded to say, you're not being a bad parent if you don't go all out for your kids' sports. And the Changing the Game Project website, one of the things that they highlight there, and this is an interesting thought, and for those of you listening, think about this. One of their main premises behind this website and this project is they're saying that parents and adults have ruined kids' sports, that they say that kids don't enjoy sports anymore because there's so much pressure and kids are quitting sports more and more because it's become more of a chore than it is a joy. And I remember when I was a kid, leagues weren't nearly what they are now. And I just had fun playing. I was in some different leagues and played a lot of different sports. And you did as well. But yep. but I don't think the pressure was nearly there as much. And as youth workers, we need to say to parents, stop for a minute and let's just think about the culture that we're in because... One of the things Jesus said is we're, we're in the world, not of it. And so when it comes to this particular area, you said keeping up with the Joneses, that's absolutely huge because if we get caught up into that, and me and my wife, we've had to stop many times and say, hey, wait a minute, we're getting caught up in this swirl of culture with sports and you know, being tempted to get into leagues where it totally pulls our kids out of any church involvement and and I've been a youth pastor, so I totally understand what that is like. And so your voice is really important. If you're listening to this and you have any influence with parents, your voice to remind them, keep their priorities, keep the main things the main things. I think sending students on trips through their youth group and youth ministry, if they're involved, is a huge investment, not just financially, but what it does to give them experience in other parts of their life. So reminding them, hey, we've got this trip coming up. I know we battle that in in all of our camps and all the hundreds of churches that we work with throughout the country. We hear all the time where youth pastors, youth workers, parents are saying, we'd have so many more kids here, but there's sports camps. And I think our voice, even now at this time of the year, if we're thinking about next summer, to parents to say, listen, I know that that sports is important, but keep your priorities where you want them to be. And if their spiritual life is important. Keep that keep that a focus. So remember that website. I think you might be interested in checking it out. It's called changingthegameproject.com. All right, moving on. Number eight, ways to help parents win. Be careful how you judge parents. Now, what we're saying here is be careful internally what you're thinking about when you're interacting with parents. Now, our interview next week is going to be very enlightening because when we hear from Dan Seaborn in that interview, you're going to hear him talk about how he faced that as a parent, and he faced that as a youth pastor and youth, work, youth worker. When you look at some parents and you think, okay, I'm judging them by the behavior of their children, either good or bad. Now, I come from a family of four brothers. Uh, two of my brothers went wayward for years and were into drugs and all kind of crazy stuff. And then me and another brother... Um, really didn't go that route in life. We stayed pretty straight for the most part. And it would have been easy for people to look at our family and look at my parents and say, wow, how did you raise these kids? You really screwed them up. But knowing the internal side of our family, had great parents and they had great faith and raised us in a very godly home and environment. So be careful 
how you judge parents. They may be struggling. They may be hurting. There may be all kind of things going on beneath the surface that you have no idea. So whatever you see, just keep your mind open and be affirming in every way you can for them as parents. Naturally, we can tend to judge people based on appearances, but there's a passage in the Bible, John 7, 24, that says, don't judge based on appearances, but make the right, the correct judgment. And essentially, knowing their situation, knowing what's going on underneath the surface, we tend to look at just the snippet of our interaction with a parent and and assume and start to judge. And we have no idea what's even led up to that moment of our judgment on them. Number nine is take the parent side first. We interact with students first, typically. We are, Ministry is for the youth. We are passionate about students. We are passionate about just seeing them know God and be transformed by His presence. But are we trusting the parents more than the students? When they tell us the things that are going on in their lives, the struggles and all that stuff, sometimes we can take the side of the student and then bash the parent. We can blame the parent. We can, again, judge the parent. Are we taking the side of the, the parent and going, oh, let's, let's first see both sides. Instead of taking just the student's side, let's figure out what, how both parties are in, at fault or what's the point of view on both sides. So hear both sides. And ultimately, these students aren't with us forever. They're with their parents way longer than they are in our ministry. And so are we assisting the parents in how to guide them post-graduation, post uh, the time that they're in your ministry? And so they'll always have their parents. They won't always have you as a guidance. And so how are we affirming them? Again, going back to affirming the parents. Don't cause the student to be divided from their parent as well. When a student says something, tells you a story, and share something, and our response could be like, man, how could your parent be so cruel? Or how could, I can't even imagine parenting like that. And our response to that type of story automatically takes the student's sides, and it automatically plants a seed in the student's mind about their parents. And all of a sudden, we are causing division in that family of the student against their parent. And so take the parent's side. When you hear from from students, you always hear their side, and you're hearing from, you know, someone that's an adolescent. And yeah, just keep that in mind. All right, number 10, coach the parents proactively. I think it's important that when we're working with students, obviously, we're also working with families, we're working with parents. We've talked about parents being the primary disciples, but we need to help them get to their kids when they're young. And I think about some specific things here. If you think about our role in working with adolescents and parents of adolescents, sometimes it might be wise for us to either partner with our children's ministry or maybe go and meet with the parents of elementary or younger even age kids and talk to them about some of these important decisions that that are really important that they need to be thinking about ahead of time. And one of those big decisions these days, and it will be probably from here on out, is the phone decision. When do they get a phone? And I've joked about it here, I think, before in this podcast about I have the only 12-year-old, you know, in our whole area that, that doesn't, that have, doesn't have a smartphone, <laughs> an iPhone. And and that decision is huge. And there's all kinds of 
articles have been floating around, especially on social media, about this decision with parents and, and what do you do. And we will get into that topic in the next season, season four, more about social media and the smartphone, because there are a lot of good studies out there that yeah. we want to unpack. That information continues to come out about the pluses and minuses of, of young people having phones and at what age. But think of it this way. When you're a parent of kids before school age, you're really a controller. When they're in elementary, you're more of a coach. When they're in middle school and high school, you're more of a manager. And then when they're out of your house and they're adults, you're more of an advisor. And all these different stages, you play different roles. And I've been through pretty much all of these stages in, in my life as an experience as a parent. One of my goals is that my kids don't live in the basement when they grow up. So mm. that's one, because I don't want to be an advisor to somebody in the basement. Hey, get off the couch and do something. But you know, and you're thinking about how we can coach them proactively. They're making decisions based on how it affects their entire family and not just individually. And that's something that we need to help them to be aware of and to let them get them at a stage where they can still be proactive with their kids. Now, this um, this coming weekend, as we record this, I have a, a parent meeting at the church where I attend, and we'll, there'll be probably be a lot of parents there. Three or four. Yeah, hundred. Oh, yeah. And as I'm talking with them, one of the things I'm going to talk to them about is how are you proactive in this idea of the digital age? And we've had a guest on here, Chris McKenna, and I'll have one of his statements is, you, there's no such thing as passive parenting in the digital age. And I think that's true in terms of we can't just let kids fend for themselves and make these decisions and be sitting in, for hours alone with the door closed on their phones every night, how can we be proactive, not just in that moment, but probably more importantly, in the years leading up to that moment where we're trying to help parents navigate because they've never done this before and every kid's different and you're just always trying to figure it out and you're always trying to struggle with how do I not feel so guilty because most parents I know they always struggle with their imperfections as parents. Well, I didn't do this right. And again, just helping them proactively is so important. And I think of the stages of the parenting where you mentioned at different ages, they're a different type of role. And we can even come in and assist them in what role they should be playing, kind of inform them and guide them to play a different role. Because sometimes the parents can be stuck in a role, in a, a stage, I should say, where they think they need to be the controller in middle school and it's causing ill effects or negative effects on their students' life. And instead, as you go, maybe you should try to manage their lives and not try to control their lives. We would love to get your feedback on this episode and all of our episodes. Again, this will be on our YouTube channel. This will be on the Never the Same Facebook page as well as all of our other ministries as well. But as you think about this list, we've given you 10. What might you add to this list? There will be a companion blog to this episode, as always, on neverthesame.org slash B-L-O-G. So those are the 10 ways that we can help parents win because our ultimate goal is to have as much influence with parents as we do with students. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never The Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.